following program is pre-recorded. This is the Paul George Real Estate Show with your host, Paul George, sponsored by the Paul George Real Estate Group. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Media Group, staff, management, or advertisers. And now, here's your host, Paul George. Welcome to the Paul George Real Estate Show. I am your host, Paul George. I'm a 30-year-plus real estate agent who helps represent people who uh, buy homes, sell homes, and build homes in the central Ohio area. Today, I'm going to spend most of this show catching up with questions asked by you guys and asked by some of my buyers and sellers. Um, Being in the business for as long as I have, for over 32 years now, I've been blessed to have over... Over a thousand families I've helped along the way. One of the benefits of helping people as long as this is clients can watch my career path. And the longer the career path goes, um, they can kind of see some of the successes. And what that brings is a little bit of trust. Uh, They kind of trust me to ask me some questions about the process. And I've gotten comfortable enough with them. They've gotten comfortable enough with me. And it, it doesn't always run into a sale or anything like that. Sometimes it's about their brother who lives in California. You know, I can give them my opinions. Uh, I network with people all over the country and I can tell a little bit about a lot of things. But when it comes to things here, I'm a little more specific and I do appreciate how much people just give me questions off the cuff. Um, You know, I've got a lot of clients who have went through, uh, I guess, the life cycle of home ownership. You know, you get the the first time home buyers are buying their first house and you know all excited about that and don't know anything and just appreciate what they have. And then once they get in the house, they saying, I wish I would have done this or I wish I could have that. Um, so they go to their, their move up home. Um, their move up home is a little more of, um, Hey, I'm not settling for this this time. <laughs> so you, I get a lot of that on the move up home. Um, if they're so lucky, then they tend to go to what I call their success home. Okay. I've been established in my job for the last 20, 30 years. I want to get what I want, where I want it, uh, that type of thing. And that's where they start splurging a little bit because one, they do understand how their life has gone, how they like living, what's important to them. Hey, do they like outdoor living? Do they like basement living? Do they like to have the kids back from, um, college do it they do they like to have their friends over you know and then they kind of build a house around that or look for a house around that um they also get established in a community so a lot of times they'll buy the move up home or the success home i should say um in the community that they're familiar with because they want to stick around there and then you know after so many years they start thinking like hey i'm not using that upstairs or i don't need this uh full finished basement that nobody uses anymore. So they start thinking about their downsize home. Um, their downsize home could be uh, a condominium. Uh, it could be just a smaller home that, you know, their kids are telling them, hey, you just need a smaller home so you don't have to worry about cutting the grass or you don't have to worry about the exterior maintenance. Um, I'm getting a lot of people who are looking for a second home. A lot of them want to go to Florida or the Carolinas or uh, Michigan or something like that. So, I've got enough experience with a lot of these people and um, that I can kind of give them some of the experiences my other clients have. Um, usually when I get these questions, 
during this cycle, they're motivated by a couple of different factors. And usually it's their, their current, their self-serving motivation. Um, they just say that, uh, you know, it's time I need to do it, that type of thing. Other times, unfortunately, or fortunately, it's the market conditions. You know, some of them say, you know, I'd better sell now because I don't think I'm ever going to get as much out of my house as I am right now. Or some say, you know what, my, I just got laid off from my job. Uh, I need to do something. Um, it could be a life change. You know, um, you know, my husband had the midlife crisis and now what am I going to do? Uh, unfortunately, I've been through that a lot. Uh, more fortunately, I'm with, you know, a lot of my clients, they have kids that are getting married and starting families. Um, I, I can give them, I've got a, an experience in just about everything. A lot of it right now is a lot of downsizing just because of my age. Uh, but I am getting a lot of, hey, I want you to talk to my kids about just the benefits of buying a home or selling a home. Um, I love working with first-time home buyers, and somebody my age would think, what do you want to mess with them for? And, you know, uh, my wife, Linda, she laughs at me because I told her I get more enjoyment out of working with first-time home buyers just because I love answering their questions. And honestly, they kind of appreciate my wisdom a little bit more. Um it's it's nice to see when people actually listen to you. <laughs> you know, when you get that third or fourth time home buyer, they know what they want. They have a good idea. I'm there for the process. Um, I've earned the, I don't know if respect is the right word, but I've earned the opportunity to help them through the process. But more often than not, you know, if I show them a house, I basically open the door and they say, you know, and, I, and I'm a field person. I say, uh, you know, is it right or not? They say, nope, and then I move on. That's all we have to do. I'm there to handle the process. So uh, on the second and third and fourth time buyers. So just be aware that, you know, this is one of those where I've got tons and tons of questions here. And, you know, every week we ask you, you wonderful people, <laughs> you submit questions to us. A lot of them have come from my past clients. Um, you can always email us at paul at paulgeorgerealestate.com. You can contact us through Facebook at the Paul George Group, as well as get on Twitter and ask me a question. Um, so today is going to be one of those days where we're going to answer a lot of those listener questions, a lot of my past client questions. So this whole hour is dedicated to you guys and your questions. To help me with this, I've got my... I don't know. I call her my second work wife, Gina. <laughs> Gina is, uh, she handles a lot of my marketing for the Paul George group and the show, but she's also a licensed real estate agent. So when she's not out selling houses or taking care of her family, she's kind of keeping me in line with what I need to do here. Um, Gina, first of all, introduce yourself. Tell me who you are. Tell everybody who you are. I know who you are, but uh, people want to know okay. a little bit about Gina. All right. Um, so I'm Gina Cribb. I've had my real estate license for almost eight years now, believe it or not. Um, all of eight of those years have been with the Paul George Real Estate Group. I also handle most of the group's marketing, um, as well as working on this radio show and podcast. And I have three kids, 14, 11, and 9. Um, so I have middle school and elementary school kids, and my wonderful husband, Alan, is also at home. And 
the nice thing about having Gina on my team is I am still connected. Like I said, my two boys are now in college. Um, sometimes you lose perspective with little kids. Sometimes you lose perspective with middle schoolers. And the nice, one of the nice things about Gina is she keeps me in perspective as to, um, how people are interacting with those, those situations as well. She also, I know like a lot of us have to take care of our parents. My parents are gone. Um, so she's got a lot on her plate between the kids her husband who just had surgery, her mom, just all kinds of things. So it also gives me some perspective as to what people are going through sometimes. So just to get started right off here, you know, we've got a little bit of time before the break. So yeah. why don't you start off with maybe a couple of questions from some buyers. We'll start with buyers and then yeah. do sellers and maybe some builder questions. So um, one of the buyer questions that was submitted to us obviously kind of kicks it off for us is, you know, I'm just beginning to look for my first house. What should my first steps be? I can tell you what the first step should be, but I'll tell you what the reality is, is people start perusing on the websites. They start getting on Zillow. They start getting on Realtor.com on their own. And that gets them interested. The only caveat I want to warn people about with something like that is you can get involved in giving out your information. And once you give out information, you know, for lack of better words, us real estate agents, we're like drug dealers. We get a lead like that. We just start <laughs> pounding on you and following up and things like that. Um, my answer would be to give an agent, a trusted agent, a call, whether it's somebody you want to interview, whether it's somebody you already know. It's usually from a referral, but we need to sit down and have the conversation. Um, and most of it is about you is to find out where you're at. It's not uncommon that I have uh, meetings with people and we decide, Hey, it's going to take us a year to get to where we want to be. You know, I don't want to settle for a, uh, a home that's in, not in an area that I want to be in. So what do we have to do? We have to talk about the realities of, um, you know, spending money on rent as compared to buying a home. Uh, we have to take some time to put a, 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 a down payment together. Yeah. We have to have that awkward conversation with mom and dad saying, mom and dad, can you help me out with buying a house? Um, you know, there's a lot of conversations that parents have. Yeah, we'll help you out. And this, well, what does that mean? Well, when we sit down and talk, I can tell you what that means. So we also go through the process. Um, I like for you to be concentrating on what you're looking for. I kind of lay out, here's how things are. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, the way things are are dictated by lenders. They're dictated by the market. They're dictated by things beyond our control. But I just set you up for that as to what's the best for you. Yeah, and I would add to that and say that sometimes if you go onto like Realtor.com or Zillow and you're starting your search and you go down the rabbit hole of, you know, <laughs> how much can I afford? You know, you put a lot of information in there, but there's a lot of specific things to your location that Zillow doesn't know. Like they don't understand the cost of property insurance, property taxes and insurance into that information. So you could come out thinking like, oh, I can afford a $300,000 house. And then you get to the lender and they're like, yeah, no, you can't. So it's important to have trusted professionals in there that can tell you what you're, what you should be looking for, what you can afford. And uh, always talk to those pros instead of Zillow. When we come back, um, we're going to go talk, have more buyer questions. 
Uh, in the meantime, like I said, if you miss any shows, go to uh, Apple, Spotify, you know, iHeartMedia, or you can even go to the 98.9 The Answer website and look my page up and download all the uh, previous shows. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast. That would help me out a lot. So if you can do that and give me a review, especially on Apple, uh, that kind of moves us up the uh, totem pole. Um so please do that, and when we come back, I'll have Gina drill me with some more questions. Navigating the complexities of the current real estate market can be a daunting task. Fortunately, you have a trusted ally, the Paul George Group of Keller Williams Greater Columbus Realty. From the moment you start your journey, the Paul George Group with over 30 years of experience will be right beside you, guiding you through every step of the process, whether it's finding the perfect home or building, skillfully negotiating on your behalf, working with lenders, managing inspections, or handling title matters, their expertise ensures your best interests are always at heart. Don't hesitate to take the first step towards your real estate goals. Reach out to the Paul George Group for a no-obligation consultation. Call 614-570-2853. That's 614-570-2853. Or email paul at paulgeorgerealestate.com. When it comes to making informed decisions in the real estate world, trust the Paul George Group to lead the way. Visit the Paul George Real Estate Group at paulgeorgerealestate.com. That's paulgeorgerealestate.com. Now back to your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the Paul George Real Estate Show. Again, we are dedicating this show mainly to all of your questions. Um, and there's a lot of them, just as you might think when making a major purchase like this. Um, remember to like us on Facebook, uh, go to Facebook, Paul George group and give us a like on that if you can. And then I'll, you know, respond back to you if you have any questions during that as well, too. So we're back with Gina, my assistant and my helper and one of my real estate agents on my team and a mom and a caregiver and everything else. What don't you do, young lady? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I do everything, do everything. Uh -huh. <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> All right. Why don't you hit me up with some more buyer questions that have come in over time? All right. Um, so our next question, um, my husband and I live in the country on about five acres. I want to move to somewhere more suburban in a neighborhood, but my husband says that HOAs are a nightmare to deal with. What types of things will an HOA restrict? That's a good question because HOAs are kind of like the wild, wild west right now. Um they're not necessarily regulated by anybody. Um, they're regulated by the people who live there. And um, as a general rule, the older the subdivision, the less um, harsh they tend to be on some of the restrictions. Um, a brand new subdivision is going to have a nice handbook. It's going to have nice restrictions laid out for you. Um, some of the restrictions, the newer the subdivision, the more restrictions there tends to be. And at the end of the day, I don't want to down, I don't want to badmouth HOAs because they are there to preserve the value of your home and your community. Um, I served on my HOA for six years, and I think I served as president for four, and it was during COVID. And I mentioned that specifically because during COVID, people were home. 
when people are home, they start noticing <laughs> all the things that nobody ever cared about before. And uh, so we got a lot more, I don't know if complaints are the right word, uh, but some of the deed restrictions, if you're living out in the country, you have somebody telling you that you cannot put up this sort of fence. Um, you cannot do it's that's what the words start with. You cannot do this or that. Uh, a lot of them, you cannot do sheds. A lot of them, you know, one of the things right now that I'm hearing a lot about is solar panels. You know, that's kind of a, a gray area because of uh, the state says one thing and your homeowners association says another, what overrides what. Um, if you want to put a pool in, um, you know, there's a lot of things that override the HOA rules. Like a lot of HOAs do not allow fencing, but if you put a pool, it's required to have a fence around the pool. So there's a lot of intricate things. When our contract, if you use the standard board of realtors contract, there's a section in there that says that um, you have to get a copy of all the deed restrictions. You also have to get a copy of the financials of the homeowners association. If you see HOAs that are upside down on some of their uh, costs, you got to be aware that your monthly fees or your yearly fees may be going up because you never put money into a reserve account that has to um, fix the ponds that you have at your entrance. So there's a lot of things to be aware of um, that is called for within the contract. So make sure your agent or whoever's providing the uh, sale of the home provides those for you. So long-winded answer to a short question, but it's a complicated one because of like lenders, builders, and everybody else, there's a love-hate relationship with HOAs. Yeah. and I mean, they keep your neighbors in line, but they also tell you what color you can paint your door sometimes. So yep. and, <laughs> it goes back and forth. You know, it does come down to a lot of neighbors because a lot of people, you know, when I was president during COVID, we don't allow above-ground pools, but we made an exception that year because pools were closed. Mm -hmm. So they're not the devil all the time. They're there for <laughs> yeah. your help. So yes. um, go ahead and ask me another one. All right. Um, so our next question actually goes back to a couple of things you talked about before about the market and people being wishy-washy. Um, this question is, what happens if I decide to back out of a house once we go into contract? Will I lose my will I lose my earnest money and can I get sued? Anything's possible. Um, the reason we put our name on a contract is that something is that is written and we've committed to. There's always extenuating circumstances. The contract is 14, 15 pages long, and 14 pages of that are contingencies. Every single contingency needs to be fulfilled. As a general rule, if you make a commitment to a house and you have a legitimate reason to get out, there's a good way to get out. There's an easy way to get out of it. Uh, it's I say easy. It's not easy for the homeowner who's started moving or started packing and things like that. Yes, you can get sued. One of the things I pride myself in is in 32 years of real estate, I've never had anybody lose any earnest money, not a one. Um, and mainly it's because of things that were written in the contract. Um, the biggest one is home, a home inspection. If you put $5,000 down for earnest money, that earnest money, by the way, is money that goes into a brokerage's trust account or it goes into a title company's trust account. And that's kind of good faith money. That's saying, hey, I'm putting my name on a piece of paper. Here's some money to back that up. But generally, that money is still yours until the closing. And if you get to a closing, that gets credited back to you one way or the other. 
but it does show some good show some good faith that you're serious about buying the house. We didn't have any earnest money. Uh, you know, it's just basically your name on a piece of paper. So going back to can I lose that earnest money if you if there's something in the contract that cannot be fulfilled, um, you get that money back. Now, the problem is, is that the buyer and the seller have both to have to have to agree to that. And sometimes the seller can be a pain to relieve it. So you may have to go to small claims court, depending on the timing. But I've never even had anybody have to go to court. More often than not, the seller just says, I want to put this behind me. Let's put it back on the mark and get it done. But yes, there are ways, but don't look for it as a way to get out of the contract. Don't look for things. You are making a commitment. You're telling that seller, we liked your house enough to make an offer on it. You can't get out of it because you've got buyer's remorse or things. There's always, you know, I just mentioned with the HOA, if they don't give you the financials, there's a way to get out of it. Uh, if you find something on the home inspection, there's a way to get out of it. You know, they got to provide you a title commitment in a timely manner. If they don't do that, there's a way to get out of it. Again, it's, we're not looking for a way to get out of it, but it's very possible. And yes, you can be sued if you go up to the day before closing and said, ah, I changed my mind. The seller is not going to make it easy to get that money back. Um, and that's happened before on the other side where we've gotten seller's money because of or buyer's money because of that. Yep. So ask me an easy one. Those are too hard. Okay. This is an easy one. Oh, good. At least I think it is. Um, so what happens if I walk through the house before closing and something is wrong, damaged, or missing? And I actually have a funny story about this. One of my first closings ever, we went to the walkthrough the night before and the basement was flooded. Oh, <laughs> Not a fun experience for me or my buyer, but we did take care of it. And they still closed on time and they still moved in on time. But I will let you answer that. What happens if something is wrong? 99% of the time there's a compromise. Um, the challenge is, is that when the buyer goes through the house, it is, I call it the Facebook house. They put on their best view. They put, they stage the house. They got the music going. They got this and that. When they do their walkthrough and the seller has moved out or they're not moving out for a week or two, it ain't going to look the same. <laughs> they go in and see if it's empty. It's going to be, oh, you know, you see those scuffs on the walls. You see this and that. One of my jobs is to prepare them for it. Um, just let them know that, hey, this is not going to look the same. You're going to see the dents in the wall and things like that. Uh, unless it's a new build, it's always going to be not what you expected. And as much as I try to prepare buyers for it, it's still a shock to them. Um, I think the worst thing I ever had was that, uh, you know, people had a hutch in their dining room and they painted around the hutch. <laughs> so you go in there and you see this outline of a hutch on there. It's like, are you kidding? Uh, more often than not, the sellers compromise. They say, here's some money to have it cleaned or have it repaired or, hey, give us a little bit of time and we'll take care of it. It's usually not as extreme as a flooded basement, but <laughs> it's certainly those things do happen. Well, and in my situation, um, we were actually able to have the title company hold it, hold money in a trust account to pay yep. for all of the repairs that were to happen after the new buyers took over. And it actually worked really well and was pretty flawless considering it was a flooded basement the day before closing. <laughs> yeah, there's a million ways to take care of that. And one of the compromises is that is that at closing, you still go ahead and close, but the title company will hold money into a trust account until yeah. the receipts come in. And that has been done. That gives the seller incentive to get it done and get it done right if they want their money. And it gives the buyer the reassurance of knowing it's going to get done because the money is there. Yep. So, Okay, let me give you a quick one because I know we don't have a lot of time in this segment. Um, when do I stop paying for utilities when I sell my house? 
Oh, that's a great question. Doing that this week. <laughs> um, it all depends on possession. Utilities are one of those things where um, as long as you're there, you still should have the utilities into your name. If you're the house is vacant, you've already moved out months ago. You just keep it there till the buyer takes possession. It is the buyer's responsibility to call and make sure that is a seamless transaction. The seller says, as of this date, I want these out of my name. If the buyer forgets to put it into their name and contractually they're supposed to put it in seven days after closing, the buyers may have to pay a transfer fee or a reconnect fee or something like that. So it is all written out within the contract. When you take possession, that's when it happens. Same thing with um, like a condominium association who has a monthly fee. They should be prorating that date up until the date of possession, not necessarily the closing. doesn't always happen. It's minimal, but at the at the end of the day, you want to make sure that gets done. To kind of add on to that really quick, um, what about um, homeowner's insurance with possession? Should you keep your homeowner's insurance through your end of your possession or when title changes? There should be double insurance if you're staying in the home after you uh, close. If you've gotten your money and you said the seller can stay there another 30 days, the seller needs to have to have kind of their homeowner's insurance with the renter's insurance policy, but you definitely need to keep it on there even if you don't have possession of the house because you don't want that liability. Um, that is a gray area that we don't enforce enough here because it's complicated, but it needs to be done. So we're going to take a quick break. And just like we're doing right now, people have uh, submitted questions. You can submit questions too at paul at pauljoordrealestate.com. Or again, go on our Facebook page. I love questions from that because I know you're interacting with it. So when we come back, we're going to ask some more questions. And I think we're going to go to the seller side. Submit your questions for the show to Paul at PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. That's Paul at PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. Now back to your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the Paul George Real Estate Show. As mentioned, today is the day I'm trying to catch up with all the questions you guys ask and some of the questions my past clients and clients have asked during the uh, process. Um, I've got Gina, my assistant, helping me with some of the questions. And, you know, before we get into some seller questions, Gina, I'm going to do that thing that I do to everybody else. You didn't know I was going to ask you, did you? I did you? not know. On all my shows. I did not know. Nope. Let me ask you the question. Okay. If you had one talent that you wish you had or you could learn something instantly, what oh. would it be? So my answer to that probably has to do with my kids and the ages they are. My answer would be to be a mind reader <laughs> because my children are entering their tween years where the answer to any question is good, fine, fine. And I have no idea what's going on in their lives. So I would be a mind reader. That's my thing. You birthed those <laughs> kids. Don't you know what they're thinking? Uh, no, know I know. Stuff. I should be able to know. But, you know, those tween years are hard. They, uh, uh, they think they I'm, all un are. I'm uncool now. So yeah, you're down to that, huh? Yep. I'm uncool. All right. Well, let's get back into some questions, and we're going to try to focus a little more on some seller questions this time. I don't know if you have any. If not, go ahead. Ask me anything got, you want. I got a good seller question. Right. Okay. So Zillow says my house is only worth two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but my neighbor sold for over three hundred thousand. Why is my Z estimate so much lower? 
The old Zillow question. I get asked that more than anything. And when I go on a listing appointment, a lot of times they will know that value. And they say, this isn't right, is it? Or sometimes it's, I can't believe it's this much. Um, another interesting thing during um, COVID, there were a lot of iBuyers. iBuyers are companies that were just buying homes sight unseen. They were just looking at some algorithm saying, we're going to offer you this for your home. I swear I got three a day from companies saying, hey, I want to buy your house. And then you check on them, how much is it? And some of them were actually reasonable. But to get dig into the process, like some people did, once they got to doing so, they started knocking it down by, oh, we didn't know your furnace was this old. We didn't know, um, you know, you had a 20-year-old roof, those kind of things. So they knocked the price down. There's still one company out there called Open Door. Uh, they are making offers on houses, but they are well below market. Um, Zillow does the same thing. They take statistics from around the country. They hone it down to your state. Then they hone it down to your zip code, and they try to give you an idea of, hey, here's what your house is worth. Um, until somebody goes in your house, somebody gets on your street, somebody understands what's going on in the current market, they are always looking back. Um, one of my challenges is, is when I go into a seller, we always look back six months to a year, depending on the market as to comparable sales. One of the things I put into the equation is if a buyer had, let's say they had $250,000, like Zillow says, I'd go out there and look, what else do they have available to buy for that 250,000? Not only selling, but if I was a buyer, what's, what are my choices? And sometimes I'll adjust my price based on, I'll raise the price because of, hey, there's no houses in this 300 to 325 market, even though my comps say 295 or something like that. So um, you got to have somebody in there to see, touch, and feel a house. Um, I said this a million times because uh, I've got a friend who I was showing houses to, and he still mentions the fish house. Um, you know, the comps were great, the pictures looked great, and then we walked into the house and it's reeked with fish. So, and he's I could never live here. This stuff will never come out. So those are the kind of things that Zillow is not going to be able to tell you. Yeah. So. They definitely don't know what the house smells like. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Okay. So our next question, um, we built a screened porch on our home. My husband and I are handy and did the work ourselves without a permit. Will the fact that we didn't have a permit be an issue when we go to sell our house? This is a good question because of, you know, when people get overly concerned, they start thinking about those kind of details. And nine times out of 10, if you do it yourself, you're fine. Uh, do not worry about those kind of things unless it's falling apart or something like that. Um, more often than not, people don't even question that. Um, I know those kind of sellers. It's, you know, one of the things when we list a house, there's a state form that is five pages long. It's called the residential property disclosure. And it's all these questions about, you know, the condition of your house or things that have gone wrong. There's some people that'll just go right through that. Ah, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And then there's other people that will document every single leak they've had and <laughs> fixed. And those are the kind of people that worry about things like the, uh, something being permitted. Now, of course, if it's a major item, um, you know, um, I, I just had a house that uh, we did the home inspection and the inspection came back that um, the flue pipe that goes on the gas uh, hot water tank 
was at a wrong angle and there was um, uh, the carbon monoxide uh, possibility. Well, they had a permit for it. I didn't know you had to pull permits for a hot water tank. Mm -hmm. So they did get the plumber back out to fix it. But, you know, those are kind of things that if you're having it done by somebody else, they probably will pull permits. If you do it yourself, generally you don't have to. Right. Um, And, you know, most of those issues, if there were issues with the way they built it, would come up in the home inspection Very much so, yeah. Um, You know, the more major it is, the more you better get a permit for it. Um, You know, we talked about homeowners associations before. Most homeowners associations will make you, uh, if you want to add a screen porch, you got to go through them first. Mm -hmm. And that's about as close to a permit as you're going to get, is their permission. Okay, so our next seller question, should I do a pre-inspection of my house before I list it? Will the buyer still do one, even if I show them the report that I have from the pre-inspection? We did a previous show a while ago about uh, with an inspector, and I kind of gave my opinion on pre-inspections and how that has evolved over time. Um, It evolves a little bit with markets as well, too. Uh, We have just been through a frenzy of a market, and in the near future, I think we're going to still be in a good market, not a frenzy, though. Um, I think one of the ways to combat uh, problems, buyer's remorse and things like that, is to have a home pre-inspected. When I say have a home pre-inspected, that means you hire a unbiased third-party home inspector that's certified, make sure they're licensed. Uh, Just have them do a home inspection if you're not afraid to find out what's going on with your home. A lot of times they are maintenance items that they will suggest, but they also find things that are broken and that gives some buyer um, some some comfort in knowing that they're getting something that somebody else has looked at. Now, do you trust that person or not? And that's where a buyer comes in saying, I don't trust them. I'm going to have my own person do it. They have every right to do that. Um, where I think it has come in handy is if I have a house that got four offers on it, um, and that could happen if you get the right type of property and the right price point. Uh, you can get multiple offers on it. If you have that pre-inspection done, some buyers will waive that inspection because they know that's there. Mm-hmm. When you have that pre-inspection, that becomes part of your disclosure form. I always use that as an addendum to the disclosure. And an addendum to the inspection is, here's what I've done to address that. Or here's what I've done to say that, I don't think the inspector was uh, on the right track with this because we know we did something five years ago to take care of that. I'm a big fan of home inspections, and if you need one, please call me, email me, text me, whatever, um, and I'll give you a recommendation. Um, I have, gosh, probably five good home inspectors I use, but there's a couple of them that specialize in older homes as compared to uh, a home that's 20 years old or things. So let me know if you need a recommendation for a home inspector. Um, but I agree. Do the home inspection ahead of time. I think it's always a good thing. Disclose, disclose, disclose. Right. Okay. Um, our next question. I've been in my house for a really long time, and I need to get rid of a lot of stuff before I move. I don't know where to start. Is there a service that does this for me? And how much should I get rid of before I show my house? Your service is your kids. <laughs> yes, Come right. Come over, kids, and get <laughs> get all your crap out of here because we see that a lot. Yes, uh, yes there's services. Um, 
when I have that situation where I go into a house and they got a lot of stuff and they say, what do I do with it? First thing I do is I joked about the kids, but I tell everybody if that's the situation, um, they have kids that have moved out or something like that. I say, first thing you do is you give the kids a deadline, say, get everything out of here. If not, I'm going to take care of that myself. And then we kind of analyze how much you have, what you have. I'm a big fan of auctions. Um, I recommend an auction company to come in and either do an on-site auction if you've really got that much stuff, but more often than not, they will come and take everything away. They will take it away, take it to a warehouse, take pictures of it, put it on an auction, and maybe you'll get some money for it, maybe not. Um, if they don't think they can get anything, they'll donate it so you get a tax write-off. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get rid of it, but I can certainly point you in that right direction. There's companies that come in and organize for you. Uh, there's companies, like I said, that will do tag sales. There's companies that do auctions. Depending on your situation, uh, I will recommend one way or the other, uh, but you got to be willing to part with these things, and that's the challenge sometimes. I've been with kids whose parents have passed away, and it takes them a year to get rid of all the stuff because they're emotionally attached to it. And I can go at whatever speed they need to go at, but I can give them some options as to what they can do with things. And as a side note, we actually have some really great resource information for, you know, the companies in central Ohio where that do sell your things for you, um, where you can donate appliances, furniture, things like that, and uh, garbage removal companies. So if anyone actually wants that resource, they can email us at paul at paulgeorgerealestate.com. And we can get that over to you. Well, when we come back for, I mean, again, we still haven't even touched on half of these questions, have we? <laughs> we uh, have a lot. We'll have to do this again. Yep. We are going to take a quick break. And remember to check us out on our website. As Gina mentioned, I always remember com, but it's also the paulgeorgerealestate.com. Um, <clears throat> all the subjects we talk about on the show usually are on that website. Um, but if you do have questions, you can always email me again at Paul George or Paul at Paul George Real Estate.com. You can call me directly. I don't mind calls or texts, or whatever, at 614 570 2853. Or the 2853 spells Beetle, B T L E. So if that's easier for you to remember, um, also check us out on Twitter. Uh, Paul George Real Estate, Paul George Show on Twitter. We'll be right back. Navigating the complexities of the current real estate market can be a daunting task. Fortunately, you have a trusted ally, the Paul George Group of Keller Williams Greater Columbus Realty. From the moment you start your journey, the Paul George Group with over 30 years of experience will be right beside you, guiding you through every step of the process, whether it's finding the perfect home or building, skillfully negotiating on your behalf, working with lenders, managing inspections, or handling title matters, their expertise in ensures your best interests are always at heart. Don't hesitate to take the first step towards your real estate goals. Reach out to the Paul George Group for a no-obligation consultation. Call 614-570-2853. That's 614-570-2853. Or email paul at paulgeorgerealestate.com. When it comes to making informed decisions in the real estate world, trust the Paul George Group to lead the way. Submit your questions for the show to Paul at PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. That's Paul at PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. 
Now back to your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the Paul George Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Paul George, and I'm with Gina, who has been peppering me with some questions that buyers and sellers may have. Um, getting back into the seller questions, you know, you had asked me a couple of things before, but uh, uh, one of the questions that always seems to come up is that I've got a seller who's selling and a buyer wants to buy. And the seller always asks me, okay, how do I leave the house? And the way we have been taught is you leave the house in broom clean condition. And what the heck does that mean to a lot of people? Um, and it, it, I kind of mentioned before about people who will fill out their residential property disclosure with, <laughs> with, uh, everything on there. Those people will have the house professionally cleaned. They'll, uh, They'll fill in the nail holes where they taking pictures down. They'll repaint and things like that. And there's other people who are in such a hurry to get out of there. They're moving, you know, uh, I had one where the husband's already in Texas because they relocated and the wife's there with three kids and the dog. And she has to be out by a certain time. And we go in there and there's trash everywhere. Um, you got to understand the situation. But what my job is to create the right expectation level. Um Broom clean condition means to means to me is that just clean the house up. Don't leave any trash out. Do not think that buyers want your stuff. Um, they don't like to be surprised with things left in the garage that you think that they could use. Oh, I thought they would like to have that <laughs> that free table that's in the garage. Or that's something my mom would do. Yeah. Oh, I thought you wanted this end table. <laughs> yeah, that's just. Don't ever assume that. You can always ask ahead of time. I've just had one who's selling a condo. They've got a room full of uh, furniture on their screen porch, and she doesn't know what to do with it. So I asked the buyer, and said, yeah, we'll take it. But if they would have gone in there without us telling them that, they would have been shocked to see that stuff. It's like, I don't want this flowery, pillowy kind of stuff here. So <laughs> just use some common sense and just communicate with everybody when you're doing that. Um I've had situations too where if you leave a house a mess, uh, and the, you know, the buyers come in, they're stuck. They've got to be in by a certain time. They've got their stuff on the back of the truck. They just need to move. It's like they hold their breath and say, I just gave these people all this money for their house and I can't believe they left it this way. Where I've seen this come back to bite you is that, you know, we all get Amazon packages and inevitably <laughs> those sellers who, um, kind of left the house a mess, get that Amazon package because they get, forgot to forward it, and the buyers go, I don't know what happened to it. Or, <laughs> they just don't cooperate as much as you and I might cooperate with them. So just be careful to be, you know, be human beings and be nice about those kind of things. So, sorry, I asked my own question now. You did. You uh, asked multiple questions of yourself. Yeah, I think it's my turn. <laughs> that, that must be the medication or something. <laughs> <you know? laughs> We're going to pivot. We're going to go to some closing questions. Um, first question, who shows up at a closing? Do we have to close together with the buyer and seller? And we'll go from there. We'll start with that and then I'll move on. Well, I'm going to give you my old man answer, uh, <laughs> that use that starts with, well, it used to be, uh, used to be and Columbus was known for something unique here where we'd have things called round table closings. And we got to that by there's a round table and everybody sits across from each other, the buyers and sellers. You know, they're agents, maybe an attorney, maybe a title person, and you just traded papers and you got along real well. 
Well, technology, reality, timing has changed that a little bit in that um, it's not uncommon for a seller now to go and sign their paperwork ahead of time. Reason being is because the seller has very few pieces of paper to sign, very few things to sign. Um, the buyer, if they're getting a loan, they have a lot of things to sign, and it just doesn't make sense for somebody to sit there for an hour when, like the seller's part of it, it probably takes 15 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, the buyer has a little bit more of a difficult task if they're getting a loan. Um, there are things called RON closings where they're remote off-site network. I can't remember what it is, but if you have a computer, if you have a driver's license, if you have like a Zoom you can sit there and actually do a closing. Um, they just uh, most closings have to be notarized, meaning that a lot of paperwork has to be notarized. To notarize, you have to witness the signature. So, um, if you can, you're comfortable with technology. There's a lot of title companies and lenders that are starting to offer that, and that's becoming more and more common. If you're paying cash for a property, you can definitely do it electronically. It's not as important as to. Uh, being there face-to-face. But a typical closing will take about an hour if everybody shows up at the same time, and still traditionally that's how it still happens. Okay, our next closing question. How do I get my money to the closing? So this would be a buyer. How do they get their down payment to the title company? They get a briefcase and bring their small <laughs> unmarked bills and just put it up there and do it. So, so the title agent would love that. Uh, yeah, they don't even accept that anymore. Um <laughs> Every title company now, I think it's under $10,000, requires you wire the funds, meaning that you have to go to your financial institution and tell them that I need this money wired to this title company on a certain time. You'll know your numbers. We try to get it there ahead of time, meaning that the day before it sits there in a trust account, and then the title company's job is to distribute that money as to where it goes to. Lenders do it. <coughs> Excuse me. Buyers do it. Um so get used to it. Uh, you have to go wire the money. Yeah, and wire fraud is real. So make sure you follow the title company's instructions and your realtor's instructions about preventing wire fraud and not responding to emails that could be fraudulent. Because that happens, and it's happened in Columbus, and people lose a lot of money. So We cannot stress that enough. Um, anytime you wire something, there is a chance for fraud. And we have seen, it hasn't happened to me, but I've seen... Um, snapshots of title will show me the email that a buyer got and it looks just like the title company's email um, saying here send the funds to this account at this time and it looks very official I always tell people to get a verbal of anything that you do um, we pound on that every time that we have a buyer and it gets close to closing so yeah. wire fraud is real and have your radar up yes um, so this is kind of a closing question, but um, can I move my stuff into the house before we close if the seller has already left and the house is vacant? So the answer that I always give is no, and the answer that I really want to give is hell no. Um, <laughs> never risk your stuff in somebody else's house, and more important is a seller rarely would let you do that. Um they have liability issues as well as you as a buyer do as well. And nobody will ever recommend that happens. I have seen it happen. They have an agreement ahead of time. Uh, if I do see it happen, a lot of times they may let them have access to the garage and not have access to the house. Mm-hmm. 
but 99.9% of the time, that's a big no, uh, no matter what. Yeah, and I would say if you need to be in the house that much earlier, then you should just try to push for the closing to be earlier, especially if the seller's already out. Usually we can do that kind of an adjustment as long as the lending is available Yep. Um, versus moving into a house you do not own. That's kind of what it comes down to. Um, okay. Never know. Um, let's see. So one more seller question. Um, so my uncle used to be a real estate agent. He told me that in today's market, I don't need an agent. I should just sell the house myself online. I'm pretty savvy, so I think I can handle it. Why would I pay an agent instead of just doing it myself? That is always available to you, um, but it's one of those where if you're looking at such big numbers, why wouldn't you want somebody that's gone through the experience, knows the ins and outs? There's a lot of intricate details that uh, there's probably 50 people involved in a real estate transaction. Do you know how to combat all of those? Um, the biggest thing that I come up with is, yes, you can do the contract. It's the process that process that people don't know about. One of the iffy situations is earnest money. I mean, if somebody gives you a contract, um, can you ask them for money? The other part is, can you qualify that person? Meaning that, how do you know they can afford to buy your house? If they come in with an agent, the agent has already been qualifying them with a lender. Um, there's just so many uh, hoops that you got to go through that I wouldn't do it, but it's certainly possible you can do it. Uh, I've done situations where people have asked me after the fact, hey, can you look this over? And we can do that for a fee. But more often than not, there's big holes in that, uh, meaning that they miss something. And that usually delays closing or uh, the lender says this wasn't right. And the lender's the one who controls. They make the rules. Mm -hmm. So you've got to go by their rules. And I would add to that that so often you hear about people who sell their home by themselves and the buyer comes in with a realtor. Yep. So then you're paying your buyer's realtor fees and you're not getting any representation. So you're paying a realtor fee, but you're not being represented. They're representing the best interest for their buyers, not for you. So you could be getting potentially some bad advice as well. So lots of reasons to consider using a professional. Well, we're getting towards the end. I wanted to ask me some builder questions. You got one quick builder question for me? Oh, geez. You're putting me on the spot I now. Know. Okay, I okay, okay, okay. Um, let's see. Um, give me the top two questions I should ask any builder before I build with them. Oh boy, that's going to take longer you than got this. Two <laughs> questions: <laughs> Can I afford the house after everything is done? Meaning yes. that <laughs> builders will advertise the base price of the house, and the house is going to be twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand right. more. So just mm -hmm. tell me what the price of the house would be with normal stuff inside. Yeah, and I would add, what kind of benefits do I have from using your lender, using the builder's lender versus my own? Those are the two questions that I think are important to ask for a builder. That's a great question. And that answer, of course, is is that the lender, uh, excuse me, the builder holds aside money so they can pay the lender to buy the rate down so they can afford the house. Yep. So, all right. All right. Well, again, we've got more questions, so we will probably do another show this way. We'll see you next week on the Paul George Real Estate Show. This has been the Paul George Real Estate Show with your host, Paul George. Sponsored by the Paul George Real Estate Group.
opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Media Group, staff, management, or advertisers. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Paul George Real Estate Show. And follow Paul online at paulgeorgerealestate.com.